to the Luxury Leadership Talks, a podcast and videocast in which I interview the most remarkable and influential leaders of this powerful industry. My name is Michaela Merrick and I've been working in and with the luxury industry for over 20 years. And I thought time has come now to break the box open, to dive a bit more into the secrets of this mysterious industry. Yes, sometimes it's a bit criticized, but also admired for its ability to create tremendous value. In this episode today of the Luxury Leadership Talks, I'm excited to welcome somebody who knows a little bit of everything about what is happening in this industry every day worldwide. Somebody who has created a company that is called Luxury Insight and uh, he owns the most powerful database of the luxury industry. Welcome, Jonathan Siboni. Hello. Hello, Jonathan. Um, can you say a bit more about Luxury Insight? What is this company, this database all about? What can you get of information? Sure. Well, Luxury Insight is, uh, some people say, the Bloomberg of the luxury industry. Yeah. So we've created some uh, database and platforms that are collecting data. And uh, we have decision-making software to help the brands better navigate uh, within the luxury industry. So what kind of data do you give them? All the market data. So you have uh, pricing data, retail data, products, whatever brands are doing, we are mm -hmm. monitoring it uh, to create some sort of a GPS for the brands to navigate and find the shortest path. Is it a secret or can we say how many brands are with you today? It's not a secret. So uh, we have uh, eight of the 10 biggest uh, luxury maisons uh, worldwide using our softwares and overall a little over uh, 80 brands uh, are using our softwares. Wow, wow. What gave you the idea of building such a big database? Uh, well, uh, I was living in China before mm -hmm. uh, and working with uh, luxury brands on their expansion of the Chinese market. Mm -hmm. I was always surprised of the lack of uh, data that we had to take very critical and strategic decision. Mm -hmm. uh, I think it's related to the fact that the luxury industry is an offer industry, a space yes. of beautiful people, smart uh, and creative people that are more navigating with intuition mm -hmm. rather than pure uh, analytical skills. Right. And it took us a lot of time to collect this information and help the brands take more factual uh, decisions. So I thought, how come this is so complicated for us? Uh, and that's what progressively led us to create uh, the company and help the brands, um, you know, analyze their market differently and take quicker uh, decision. Uh, Luxury Insight, if I'm not mistaken, exists for a bit more than 10 years now? Yeah, indeed. Um, we created the company in 2010, but yes. it was a research company originally. Mm -hmm. So it was an R&D project mm -hmm. for the first five years. Yeah. Uh, we worked with a little over a dozen developers and it only became a real company in 2016. Mm -hmm. it took us five years of R&D too. I mean, today it's a global company and you, you have data from all over the place. It's very successful. Can you give me your recipe of building today in a very competitive environment, a company that grows so fast and that also gets credibility from so many big luxury houses? 
Uh, I think it's because it's not about us. Uh, it's about our clients. Mm -hmm. uh, we try to listen to their needs, uh, follow their uh, growth and strategy, their challenges. Mm -hmm. um, so it's more about them than us. Um, mm -hmm. What we do indeed, it's it's a global company. So we have 14 nationalities at the headquarters. Mm -hmm. So we work with a lot of languages. It's a very internationalized uh, business. Uh, we are very focused on China, even though we don't only work with China. Mm -hmm. So China is 35 to 40% of our business, right. quite similar to our clients. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, the recipe, I think, is some sort of a mix between one uh, very tech-driven approach. So we try to always think, how can technology help us leverage intelligence and creativity, mm -hmm. be a very strong business focus, trying to listen to our clients and uh, really f uh, focus on what's going on right now, what are the challenges. Mm -hmm. So um, with the current situation of the COVID, uh, the business has changed tremendously. Uh, I'll take two examples. The first one is uh, the tourists. Mm -hmm. Tourists used to be a very strong uh, driver of the luxury industry. Mm -hmm. uh, as 70% of the purchases of Chinese uh, luxury consumers were abroad. And this naturally has changed with yeah. the COVID. So, so the Chinese market has boomed, but it's a lot of um, you know reorganization mm -hmm. for the industry. And the second one is uh, consumers buy in different places, but they are also different people, uh, and they have different mindset. And if you think about secondhand, for example, mm -hmm. uh, now consumers are you know looking at the world differently, looking at brands differently, and all of these changes also mean different and uh, new uh, business models and directions of growth. Mm, in, in, in which way would you say do consumers look differently today at this industry? I think um, they look differently because um, everybody uh, now has a different perspective about the world that is around us. Mm -hmm. uh, we used to see things as some sort of an infinite, um, you know, uh, potential traveling every day, going to A, B, C. And now, especially the younger consumers, mm -hmm. uh, they see a limit of that because they think, you know, uh, we are still going to be here for a while and it doesn't seem that uh, things are going exactly to the right direction. So we may have to uh, look at the world differently, to uh, buy differently, to live differently. Mm -hmm. And if you think about, indeed, secondhand um, or even renting, mm -hmm. uh, all of these business models are quite new because I think younger consumers, and, and that's a new thing as well. I mean, luxury consumers used to be a little older, mm -hmm. but over the past 10 years, yes. uh, the driver is Gen Z. And Gen Z are young consumers, they buy more, uh, you know, sportswear, athleisure, so different products, different environment, mm -hmm. different way. And yes, I think the world is changing much quicker than before. Mm. Since you mentioned Gen Z, Gen Z um, I also see it when I'm teaching students uh, in business schools. They, I mean, they are super eager to know about luxury, uh, but they also have their own thoughts um, and want to see that things make sense in what they consume. Um, how do you think luxury brands tomorrow can maintain the desirability among this particular generation that is building the luxury brand success of tomorrow? I think um, it's a question of meaning. People are looking for meanings. They try to uh, do things for a reason. Mm -hmm. And luxury brands have been extremely successful at providing meaning. Mm -hmm. uh, luxury brands uh, probably were the first one to have some sort of a sustainable approach. Uh, I think it's Jean-Louis Dumas who once mm -hmm. said, you know, nobody ever threw away an MS product. So there's a, an intrinsic uh, logic of 
quality, long time for the luxury industry. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's something that makes sense, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and I think um, younger people today, again, want to do something that makes sense and represent who they are. Mm-hmm. Luxury uh, industry is a mix of rational and emotional, and people feel a certain uh, relation to the brands that they buy, um, and it, it, it gives some sort of a value uh, or signification of who they are. And that's why this idea of meaning, I think, is really extremely important. Mm. Um, I, I would love to hear your definition of luxury, because, um, I mean, everybody has a different way of thinking and defining this industry. Uh, what would you say today luxury is, and how will it change tomorrow? Uh, it's not an easy one. I so, <laughs> um, I would say, uh, First of all, what what uh, we can define luxury by saying what it's not. Okay, that's the first approach. Sure. A lot of people say that uh, you know luxury is um, about brands. So they name a few brands: mm-hmm. Chanel, Hermes, Vuitton, yeah, Gucci, Dior, and they, and they move on and on. The problem is, you know, well, you cannot list all the brands, and that's very hard to 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 define it. Uh, you cannot also define a luxury by its products. You cannot say it's fashion, beauty, wine and spirits because it's endless and not all the brands of fashion and beauty are uh, luxury. So it doesn't really work that way. Um, I would say that um, there are products that you know people buy because they need it, right? You buy water, uh, you buy food because you need it. Luxury is, is, is not exactly the same. You don't buy it because you need it. Mm-hmm. You don't need a 100,000 euro watch. Mm-hmm. You buy because you desire it. Mm-hmm. So what's the difference between uh, needs and desires? Uh, needs are universal. Mm-hmm. Everybody in the world drinks water mm-hmm. and it's To food. survive? <laughs> yeah, it's, you know, we have the same needs. Whoever we are, wherever we live. But we may have different desires, right? Um, so luxury is about desire. It's a mix between uh, passion, mm-hmm. emotion, mm-hmm. and uh, rational elements. For me, there are three uh, elements that define luxury. The first one is, um, rational elements, quality, mm-hmm. materials, you know, very rational mm-hmm. uh, elements that are objective. The second is emotional elements, mm-hmm. the brands, the passion. This is more subjective. Mm-hmm. You may have different, you know, dreams. Related to the values. Exactly. And the third one is relational, uh, conspicuous power, prestige and so on. Mm-hmm. So a luxury brand needs to have the three. It needs to have extremely strong rational elements, right. best quality, a very long history, very strong emotional a power mm-hmm. related to the brand so on, and very strong relational, um, you know, intrinsic uh, signification related to prestige, value, power. It can be, it doesn't have to be a strong or blink, but there needs to be something that is related to uh, the image mm-hmm. uh, that you may have for a gift or even for yourself. Exactly. And do you think this will change in the future or will these three elements of luxury remain and even become stronger, which is the element that you think will be the most um, powerful, the most important one that luxury brands have to push in order to maintain desirability? So I think these three components have not changed. Mm-hmm. It was the same if you look at luxury uh, even in old times, right. uh, in ancient um, Chinese history, Roman history, it's exactly the same. The question is a balance of the, the three uh, ingredients. Right and mix. that's true. The right mix is true depending uh, on time, depending on regions, and depending on brands. 
So if your brand has an extremely strong rational component, like Swiss watch, for mm -hmm. example, Swiss watch are very strong rational elements. Right. They have the best skills, the best history and so on. So what you need to uh, develop is the two that you have less. Mm -hmm. So the power of the brand, the desirability, and you know, element that will make you exist worldwide. Mm -hmm. If you have a very known, um, visible brand, you need to reinforce maybe the rational elements. Where do you produce? What do you use? How do you exist? And so on. So, so it, it's a question of mix mm -hmm. to be able to create some sort of a, I wouldn't say perfection, right. but very, very high level on these three elements. Because once you achieved some sort of, um, uh, you know, extremely high level on these three elements, you create a sense of, you know, if everything looks perfect, then your mind is looking for the mistake, is looking for something that is not good. Yeah. But if it doesn't find it, then you, you slow down and you can dream. And that's what a luxury uh, store is, for example. Yeah. If you enter, the light needs to be perfect, the window needs to be amazing, because your eye is looking for the problem, is looking for the small thing. But if it doesn't find it, then... To see what's wrong. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's, you know, how, how, how we are built. Mm -hmm. uh, humans are, are, are looking to improve things. Mm -hmm. So we're looking for the small things to improve. Sure. But if there's no particular problem or no area, mm -hmm. then, you know, you, you just think of something else and your mind is traveling a little bit. Then you listen to the music, you look at the product and you can stay there for two or three minutes. Mm -hmm. uh, so, 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 so you need to make things so well mm -hmm. that you don't even talk about it. Mm. Um, just before we were talking about the younger generation, um, uh, somebody who would love to work in this industry, what are the leadership qualities which you would say are vital in order to become really successful in this very complex industry that has, as we see, so many different facets that is getting, I would say, even more complex in the future? What, what would you say are those some, some key qualities to bring along? So, you know, I told you luxury to me were three things, right? Uh, rational, emotional and relational. I mm -hmm. think that's what people need to have as well. Um, for me, young people who want to work in the industry, they need to have extremely strong curiosity. Uh, they need to be extremely curious about people, about things. Number two, they need to be experts. They need to be very knowledgeable. They need to work a lot. They need to be very detail-oriented. And number three, they need to have a very strong empathy. Mm -hmm. They need to really try, not just to say, I know, mm -hmm. and I'm curious, but listen to me. They need to listen to people. And if they have very strong curiosity, they learn a lot, they work a lot, and they listen a lot to others, they'll be extremely successful. Because mm -hmm. they will match what the brands are here for. Right. And people think that luxury is about excess, bling, bling, show off. It's actually, I think, the opposite. Luxury is all about balance. It's trying to find a balance between, you know, some people who are very uh, subjective, some people who are more objective, some people who want to stand out, some people who want to fit in. So, so you need to find a balance between a lot of elements and try to always think the brand goes first. I'm just there. You know, I'm not, it's not about me. It's because I push something that is bigger than me, right, right in a way. Right. Right. Uh, yeah, I would say that that would be a great start. So this requires also some humility. Oh, definitely. The biggest leaders in this industry are very humble, humble people. Which yeah. is very surprising to many people and say, oh, it's arrogance. But actually, no, when you, when you go and, and, and see what really happens and you dive a bit deeper into it, it's all about uh, humility. First of all, the, the, your, your clients, your brands are bigger than even the CEO, mm -hmm. right? It's a long story. So you need certain humility to say, you know, I'm here to try to think what's the best idea for the brand, not for me. Mm -hmm. I'm just here at yes. that particular time. Number two, you need to work with creative people. 
and you know there's no right or wrong a luxury brand is a mix between creative leadership mm -hmm. and business leadership right. the creative guy can create whatever he wants and not think it will it sell or not the ceo needs to think how to optimize the business and not say i prefer this color so you need to be very humble in saying maybe i have a good idea but i'm not going to share it because this is not my job and if you do that well for many years it makes you humble mm. so a lot of luxury uh, ceos indeed are extremely creative people mm -hmm. but they don't express it at all in their business right. that's why that makes them even more creative outside the business take richard colas the former uh, ceo and president of, of chanel in japan he wrote book in japanese extremely successful ones uh, christian blancart the former vice president of hermes he was a mayor for more than 20 years, also wrote beautiful books. Uh, so these people are extremely creative, very sensitive people, but they do it outside the maison because the maison, they are here for a job and they do it. They use, of course, their creative mindset, mm -hmm. but they don't try to push their creativity. So that requires a lot, yes. Then you need to be humble. Mm, very interesting. Uh, Jonathan, can you share with me or with all of us who are listening, your most beautiful accomplishment, where you say, looking back to what I've done, uh, I mean, I know you have several businesses, you're extremely entrepreneurial. Uh, what would you say is one of your most beautiful accomplishment in your life? Uh, to be extremely uh, honest and not just to, to jump on the idea of say, to, to be humble, right? Uh, it's hard to ask this question on this one. But I don't think we, we've made uh, or I've made so many things. I think uh, we have not even started. Uh, to be honest, I think there's much, much more to do than whatever we may have done in the past. Uh, what I'm, I would say my biggest accomplishment is to have around me people that I find extremely uh, motivating and, and passionate and fascinating. So. Yeah, if there was one accomplishment, that would be to, to have been lucky to have gathered all of these people and all of this energy and the trust of these clients. But it has nothing to do with me. It's just a dynamic. Um, and yes, I think, you know, when we moved to, to, to working with, with China was back in 2004, 2005, it was a bit early. So the brands said, yeah, it will be the future, but we don't know when. So mm -hmm. we tried a bit early. And then in 2010, 11, we said the future is data. It was a bit early. So doing something early has pros and cons. The pros is you have a first mover advantage. The cons is the market doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. So you do a lot of mistakes all the time. So it's all about who you have in your team and which clients uh, you trust and trust you so that you co-build and you discover together. So yeah, I would say it's just, I've been uh, very, very lucky and, and proud. Mm -hmm. Luxury brands, they love strong stories, legendary stories. I assume that among all of the brands that you accompany, you maybe have a couple or one that you would like to highlight? Well, uh, to be frank, I think we are very lucky in this industry because there are quite a few brands that have beautiful stories. I could name you 20, 30, 40. Uh, I think what's interesting about luxury is the fact that because you want to shine all around the world, yes. your story needs to have some sort of universal elements into it mm -hmm. to uh, suit or uh, be appealing to the entire world. Um, and indeed, there, there, there are a couple of brands that still remain quite close to this family uh, heritage um, logic, I would say. 
And what I find very uh, astonishing is the ability to uh, translate or transfer this story locally. So if you take a brand, for example, like Hermes, mm -hmm. um, what's always a, a challenge is how can I bring my story, my, my life to a different a place, a different continent, right. a different culture, yeah. and find some local appeal into it. Mm -hmm. It's very complicated. But people are interested in it as of well. Of course, yeah. if, you, if you bring beautiful Chinese brands and you bring them here, maybe they're not going to be super appealing to you because their stories... It's far away from you. But the stories also may not uh, work on the same uh, drivers, mm -hmm. and then, you know, they, they may not talk to you. So one of the crucial elements is how do you explain your story? I'm always saying you should not change your story, mm -hmm. but you should explain it in not only a different language, but in a different way so that people understand it. So if you take Hermes, uh, their Chinese name is Aimash. Aimash is very close to Hermes when you listen to it. But the meaning is beautiful. Ai um, is love. Why mm -hmm. I love you. Uh, Ma is the horse. And she is the gentleman. So it's the gentleman who loves the horse. Mm. So the name sounds like Hermes. The story is beautiful. The logo is intact. Mm -hmm. So again, I think the story throughout the ages and its, in its way to find some sort of a local driver right. uh, is extremely uh, interesting and lovely. You talk about China. I know you are a big, big expert in the Chinese market. Um, in the recent times people look up with a bit of criticism at China um, but at the same time China plays a big role in the luxury industry how do you see it for the for the coming years do you think what is the role that China will play for this industry uh, in the future so first of all I think you know um, luxury is always a mix of uh, love ignorance criticism because it's passion when you have passion, you may love, you may hate. It's emotional. Passion. <laughs> it's passion. So um, I'm going to talk about China in a second, but look at certain brands in China. You know the Dolce Cabana scandal, for example. People said, wow, what a big scandal, what a big impact. It's crazy, such a strong uh, local story. Yeah, but this is the other side of love. When people love your brand, they, they, they will be crazy about you. They will queue in front of your store. They will make you rich. But however, because it's a passionate relationship, it can also drive very quickly to the other side. So um, that's luxury. Now, China here is quite unknown. And because it's unknown, there's a lot of mystery and there's a lot of very extreme positions. So um, there's a fact. Uh, there are a couple of facts. Uh, first of all, uh, China has always been the number one economy in the world throughout all history, apart for the past 150 years. Mm -hmm. If you take uh, medicine, a lot of economists have analyzed that uh, quite well. So it is mm -hmm. a very powerful economy yeah. and there's no um, surprise about that. No, I mean, it's 2.5 times the 25, uh, 27 sorry, European countries together in population. 2.5 times bigger than the 27 European countries together. So it's a huge, it's a continent. And now China is growing, you know, back or again. Right. And Chinese are very emotional. I always say Chinese are very Latin and people say, oh no, no, no. I always say <laughs> you Chinese wouldn't are expect Latin. that. <laughs> but they are. Yeah. I mean, uh, they spend two hours for lunch. They talk uh, a lot. They want to go out with you, drink wine, speak. They're very Latin. Socialize. They're not yeah, they're, they're about relation. Mm. Um, in Chinese, we say guanxi, the network. It's, it's fundamental. You have friends, you have colleagues, you have family. They're very Latin, they're like French. That's why France and China have such good relations. 
because we have quite similar culture, love of food, you know, the complexity of the food system and so on. Mm -hmm. So they're quite Latin in a way. They're, you know, very emotional, very relational. Also luxury as well. <laughs> yes, indeed. Um, and we found some sort of a paradise there, but under the condition that we do also a part of the, the journey. We need to do a couple of steps to there and, and, you know, that's the way it works. So the thing with China, though, is that I think um, luxury brands were a bit lazy mm -hmm. for many years because it was easy. People would come here, would go to their store they on buy. their streets. They just wait here. They say, you know, like, no, don't buy, don't sell too much. Close the door, open the door, easy. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm not judging it, you know, when it works. Why would you change? Mm -hmm. But we've always said uh, you need to, to repair the roof while it's sunny, right? Because after you're going to need it. And it's true that brands were a little bit late on uh, doing the local work that was needed to cater to the needs and the desires of these consumers. Now we're just waiting for them to come. Mm -hmm. And then when the, when the, the, the frontiers closed, right. they needed to be localized and to be local. And they didn't have all the management or the processes and so on. They're trying to catch up on that. Mm -hmm. uh, but it comes with a challenge because now that you cannot go there, luxury is about control. Mm -hmm. It's about knowing what's going on. It's about centralization. It's about coherence. Mm -hmm. So there are a lot of challenges on, you know, how can I make sure that I will find some sort of a coherence between what's going on there mm -hmm. and here, especially if I cannot go there. Sure. So, so I think that's the, the, the number one challenge for the luxury industry. Uh, you could decide to say, no, I'm not going to go to China. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure this is something super sustainable as, as a statement. Yeah. So the question is not yes or no, but how. how. And the how is if you really care about China and if 35% of your business, it should at least take 35% of your time. But it's not the case. Mm -hmm. So if, you, if it's not the case, then how do you make it work? And if you don't, then you're going to have very high risks because mm -hmm. there's uh, more uncertainties mm -hmm. there than here. Mm -hmm. So I think it's all about, you know, how do you make sure that you understand what's going on, that you know the market, you know your competitors. Mm -hmm. The competition in China is fierce. Mm -hmm. You yes. have all the most amazing European brands, but also local very brands, strong Japanese local brands, brands yeah. American brands, Korean everybody's brands. fighting. Everyone's yeah. fighting. So you have to make sure you are there, you fight, and you are very reactive. Mm. So, so I think that's yes. what China is and will, will continue right. to It needs to be true if you really want to go into this market. Talking about challenges, I think there's another one which is huge for the coming years. It's about sustainability. Um, when we look back five years ago, you almost had the impression that for luxury, sustainability doesn't really exist. Today, after COVID, it is at the heart of the core strategies of almost every luxury brand. So it was like a wake-up call. Um, what do you think should luxury brands do in order to become much more responsible, a lot more sustainable um, than what has been done in the past? Um, I think that uh, sustainability is a much more transversal point and challenge mm -hmm. than the challenges that the brands have had to face in the past. Mm -hmm. So the problem uh, or the challenge with brands is that their organization is not transversal. So you have people in charge of, uh, say, regions or functions, marketing, finance, on. In silos. Exactly. And where does uh, sustainability stand? It was the same with digital, you know, okay, so we created chief digital officer. but. The digital cannot be in the hands of the digital officer because it needs to be in the hand of everyone. So we knew from day one that the, the CDO was here as a transition. 
to train people. Uh, like 100 years ago, you may have a chief electricity officer. And he was like, OK, now I have electricity. I'm going to help you, help you, help you. And when everyone knew, it, he would just you know, go out. I think it, it's, it's the same with sustainability. It's about So it's about sure organization, changing an organization less from silos into uh, transversal combination. That's for sure is number one change for luxury, but, but in particular for, for these elements, because everything needs to be sustainable. Um, to be quite honest, uh, the, the products, uh, everything related to production was already very uh, keen and mm -hmm. sensitive to these elements for a long time. Because if you look about the luxury brands and production, it's very, very advanced to that. Mm -hmm. The question was more to other departments and other functions, mm -hmm. uh, visual merchandising, packaging, uh, and so on. So the brands have decided to tackle uh, sustainability via communication mm -hmm. at the beginning. And they would communicate a lot mm -hmm. and say, we do that, we do this, we do awards, we do it. And of course, it doesn't make so much sense because sustainability is not about saying, it's about doing. Yeah. And actually, it's probably about doing and not saying because you should do it anyway. So this has changed, right. and then uh, they tried to, to, to go to certain very visible elements. In beauty, for example, they went to packaging. Mm -hmm. they say, okay, my packaging is. Yeah, okay, fine, you can start with that, but then it needs to be much more transversal. So the question is, who's in charge? Uh, and then if you say, okay, I'm in charge of marketing, where does sustainability stand? So the, the chief sustainability officer can come to you and say, okay, where do you print? How do you deliver? And she's gonna be like, let me do my job. I have my KPI to follow. So, there are a lot of challenges mm -hmm. uh, related to these elements. Of course, we say it's number one, and the CEO says it's number one, and he, th he means it. Yes. But the question is, on a daily basis, how do you do? Yeah. Because they have a lot of things that you need to do, and how do you find a balance? Mm -hmm. so, so I think that's the challenge. It's mm -hmm. not because the luxury brands don't want. Actually, yes. they do a lot of things, and they yeah. do it very well. It's just that on a daily basis, there's a lot of things that needs to be done, and you, we need to do it differently. Right. So. Um, it's just about how do you collaborate differently. Mm, can you think about an example that uh, where you would even say this is already ahead of time? Uh, maybe a, a great example of sustainability where a luxury brand has gone a step further than maybe others? Sure. Yeah, yeah, I can give you one. So there's a, um, a beauty, a luxury beauty brand that came to us a couple of months ago and said we want to reduce drastically um, the volume of uh, merchandising that we, we send mm -hmm. to, to the local point of sales because they send huge volume of merchandising to show the new products, to present, to do, you mm -hmm. know. And then they have huge on. stock in the, in the store. And so the, 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 the point of sale merchandising is sent to all their point of sales. Uh, but if you take a, a beauty brand, it can easily have 25,000 point of sales worldwide, mm -hmm. uh, 20 to 25,000. So they would send this huge piece of cardboard or whatever it's made of mm -hmm. all around the world. However, um, they knew that in certain regions, in particular Germany and the UK, probably 15 to 20% of these point of sales didn't exist anymore. Or they existed, but they didn't sell the brand anymore. Mm -hmm. Or they would sell the brand, but not three meters, just one meter. Mm -hmm. So all of these changes around the year were not monitored. And therefore, it's a huge loss. It means you send the merchandising or the, you know, the, the, the point of sale, but it's trashed mm -hmm. right away because, mm -hmm. and it's almost impossible to monitor. How do you want to do that on 20,000, mm -hmm. um, uh, you know, distribution uh, network? So what we, we did with them is to analyze uh, their network, prioritize and run through data and algorithm to clean it as well as we could, right. uh, to take away all the distribution channels that were not operating anymore, right. um, but also try to better understand the network to really diminish 
the footprint as much as possible. Mm -hmm. And this had three uh, very strong impact. Number one, financial impact. Mm -hmm. uh, they estimate that they saved uh, more than 20 million euro per year oh. just on not sending goods there. To places that don't exist? Or that don't need them. Mm -hmm. Maybe again, the brand is there, but not the same product category and so on. Mm -hmm. So mismatch, mm -hmm. okay? The number one. Number two, uh, it's much better for the teams mm -hmm. inside the brand because they feel like, wow, they really tackle that, which is not the first thing to do. Right. You know, I'm talking about, uh, you know, point of sale merchandising to these regions to because they don't have the problem in, in China. China is a newer market, mm -hmm. so they know where they sell and so on. But right. the UK and Germany has been here forever. So you have two or three thousand point of sale in each country. Uh, so they really think they did that because they care, mm -hmm. you know. So number two is very good for the company internally. Right. Um, and number three, extremely good for the partners. Because when the partner receives something and all the time and trashes it, it, it doesn't feel so good. It doesn't feel like you really care and you are not in a horizontal discussion. Mm -hmm. Yes. So it, it was a very challenging uh, project to lead with a lot of different uh, stakeholders. But I think it's, it's a great move ahead. Mm -hmm. uh, and yes, I think it's really ahead of the times to really take that and put it first. Uh, and to be quite frank, it's not the financial elements that was number one. Mm. It was more to optimize mm. uh, the system. Mm. But yes, it was done and also was financially extremely powerful. So very good monitoring in order to reduce the trash that was useless and sent to places which were not in the, in the network I would say anymore. It's to optimize yeah. work. So in that particular case is to, yes, uh, reduce things that would be trashed anyway. Right. If you think about window display, uh, take a brand like Vuitton. Vuitton has some of the most beautiful window displays uh, worldwide right. and they have more than 500 stores. They change it every month. So imagine the volume of, of amazing products that are sent uh, by plane to all of these places every month and so on. And what do you do with that mm -hmm. after? Because it bears the name Vuitton. So you have copyright issues. So there's a lot of elements to take into account about what to do. And some of the brands, including Vuitton, are quite ahead working then with, uh, you know, art school and recycle, rework on it and so on. But there are really, really strong challenges in that matter. Another big topic, I think, which will become extremely important in the future is disruption. Innovation, creativity, to really be ahead of time. Because luxury brands, they always want to be ahead compared to other brands. Um, what do you think they need to do in order to make sure that they can still innovate, bring out new things, be creative? What, what do you think is the recipe for these brands? Well, I think if they want to be creative, it's already a bad start. You, ha you are or you're not. But mm -hmm. luckily for them, a lot of brands are very creative, very disruptive, because disruption is in the DNA of luxury brands. Right. Luxury brands have to surprise you. And I didn't expect that, wow. And they're very disruptive, no matter what they do. They're very creative. So, so I think they need to keep that. Mm -hmm. They don't need to create it. If they create it, it's a, it's a bad start. So what they need to, to, to do is a couple of things. First of all, uh, you can't improve what you don't measure. So if you don't know what's going on, how do you want to improve things and disrupt? Right. How do you want to be um, new or, or innovative if you don't even know what exists? It doesn't make sense. Yeah. So number one, monitor. Mm -hmm. We have monitor softwares for all these brands to look at all the activations worldwide. New products, new communication, 
you know, activations, new distribution activations. And we do monthly monitoring for them to see what exists mm -hmm. and get new ideas. Also, mm -hmm. Wow, that's interesting. Also from different sectors. And also to avoid me-toos, right? <laughs> the me-toos, yes, you need to avoid that for sure. But that at the last step, sometimes people tell you, oh, oh, oh be careful, someone just did it. Mm -hmm. But it's also because um, disruption and innovation always come from an idea from somewhere else. It's out of the box, right? Mm -hmm. So the brands, um, they're focused on their work because they have a lot of work. Sometimes they spend a little time looking at the direct competition. Mm -hmm. It's already rare, but they never look at other sectors. Outside your plate. <laughs> you can't, because you don't have time. But that's where good ideas come from. And this is where, indeed, um, we work a lot with the brands, is giving them uh, the tools so that monthly they receive automatically whatever's going on, mm -hmm. um, so that they don't have to look for it. Because mm -hmm. now there's too much information, too much data, too much brands, too many things. They don't have time to go and look for it. Mm -hmm. It has to come structured right. so you don't waste time looking for something. Mm. Just before we were talking about stores, um, I, I feel that luxury brands are always trying to develop an amazing customer experience. They all want to do this wow effect when you enter the store and when you engage with somebody. Um, what do you think luxury brands need to do tomorrow in order to really create this phenomenal, this memorable experience for a customer in a world that is digitalized, in a world where uh, you can have information from all over, in a world where you have multiple channels uh, to inform and to buy? What would you say is critical in order to create a memorable customer experience? I think they have to call you. Oh. That's, that's what you do. Um, indeed, I think it's all about human. So this is something that you would be uh, much better than myself to, 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 to answer. I'm not a huge specialist about that. But yes, I think they have to work with people, engage and keep this very human aspect uh, relation. They have to know their staff first. Mm -hmm because they don't always do. They think that the staff is here to convey a story that comes from them, so it's only a push. And to sell, sell, sell. Push. Oh, sell or push a message. Mm. Sell or push a product, push a message. Mm -hmm. But now the world is not a push world, it's a pull world. Yes. Before the world was brand-centric, so you need to push information via communication agencies. Now it's pull. You need to know your clients, you need to bring idea, information, so you need to know your staff as well. You need, so you need to change that and make sure that uh, three stores in the world are not the same. Mm -hmm. um, again, 20 years ago, it, it was all about having the same stores around the world to push coherence, because mm -hmm. that was the number one priority. Mm -hmm. But now, uh, the store function has changed, because 20 years ago, the store function was to sell. Right. You would do communication on a fashion show and people would go to a store to buy. But today, you don't need a store to buy. You can buy with your phone. Mm -hmm. So if you don't need a store, what's a store for? You can sell, sure, but you also need to explain the story to share the experience. So there's a different function, which means that today a store is not only or not for uh, distribution, it's also for communication. It's much more. It's really a place to meet, to share and to engage, even if somebody doesn't buy right away, but maybe exactly. buys later on. Hence the flagship, hence the pop-up. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and therefore, yes, indeed, this is to share, spend time, show the brand, engage with the mm -hmm. brand, uh, show what's unique, what's right. different. And then they start loving it. Yeah, because if you don't have that, I think it's, it's a purely digital brand will have a hard time mm -hmm. to really engage with clients. Yeah. Uh, if they don't really show something, we are still human beings. Mm -hmm. We need to talk, we need to sit, we need 
I'm not sure we'd have done the same interview uh, via Zoom. Mm -hmm. You know, we're sitting here uh, fighting with the outside renovation, with the light, with the sound, uh, and creating human uh, relation and thinking. And when uh, you don't really understand what I say, or you're not sure, I will see it in your eyes. And then I'll, you know, just change and, and readjust, and there will be an exchange. But uh, sometimes via video, you don't know that because people are just sitting, look like looking at TV. It's very passive. And it's not so easy to create creativity. Mm -hmm. For functions, it's okay. If you need to deliver your work to a remote, no problem. But I think in our industry, there's a lot of things that needs to be uh, human-driven. Mm -hmm. And that's probably what a store is for. I think the number one change in the luxury industry is understanding that right now, communication and distribution cannot be uh, separated anymore. Yeah. And that's a huge challenge. Yeah. The luxury brands uh, organization is not ready for that because you have a head of communication and a head of sales. And they just, should really combine their... Just their because level. for the consumers, you cannot uh, separate it anymore. Um, like digital, before there was online and offline, and you had a head of digital who was in charge of e-commerce and the head of the sales, and then they were like, yeah, but he went to the store and bought online, so we need to work together. And now there's no more separation mm -hmm. on the channel. Mm -hmm. So uh, if you think about it, take a, a platform like WeChat. Right. WeChat is a communication platform. Right. However, now from the communication, you can click and buy on WeChat. Which at store. Mm -hmm. So is it a communication budget or is it a distribution budget? What do you do? Uh, what about Farfetch? Farfetch is the distribution channels, but you can put advertising on Farfetch. Mm -hmm. So what do you do? So now with digital, uh, same with Instagram. Instagram, you can do communication, you can sell on Instagram. So now um, everything that is communication will try to go to distribution, and everything that's distribution, like a store, will go to communication. Mm -hmm. You have to accept that it's impossible to, to delink it. To separate. No, because the consumers don't. Mm -hmm. They don't. Before, you would go to a fashion show in the morning and to a store in the afternoon. Communication, distribution, it's very clear, different flow. Right. But now you're on a website, you are fully in a video, you click and you're in a store. It took you half a second. Yeah. It can be the same platform. Yeah, it's seamless. So, yes, so we have to reconsider mm -hmm. how to engage with, with our clients and friends differently. And I hear there's a lot of trust in also what you've done and what brought your company, Luxury Insight, and all the other companies around you to, to success. Uh, Jonathan, thank you very much for thank this you, discussion. Um, I know whenever I, I exchange with you, I could continue asking lots of questions, but I think we've already discussed many, many insightful things. Um, and uh, I wish your company, yourself, lots of success for the coming years which are going to be extremely exciting. If you feel that this uh, podcast was also an eye-opener for you, um, then don't hesitate to share this uh, Luxury Leadership Talks with others who might also benefit from it. Friends, uh, colleagues, and people whom you also think they are interested and very keen on knowing more about the secrets of this powerful and extremely fascinating industry. So uh, don't hesitate to also comment because it's also about your vision, your thoughts after a podcast where we discuss together things and insights. Uh, and uh, so I hope to welcome you again in the next episode. I'm not going to tell you who it is going to be. Surprise, surprise. But take care and see you soon. Bye bye.